could never have imagined this story. From small beginnings to multitudes gathering in worship, battles and victories, service and sacrifice, born out of courage and conviction. With complete assurance, we have grown from strength to strength, yet carry a holy discontent. For this story is far from over. A family still growing, a people called to reach cities and nations, to bring light to dark places. We have seen him do the impossible. We have known his transforming power. We have so much to celebrate, but the best is yet to come. For our story is written by the greatest author. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Let me extend my welcome to that of the team, to those of you in the auditorium here, and to those in Cafe Church in the Leicester Centre are watching online on the web. It's great to have you with us. Um, as you saw in that introduction, this is part of a series. Uh, last week, we had part two of the series, which was looking at the call of God, as we saw in the church in Antioch, for us to go and to reach other people with the gospel of Christ. And my focus this morning in this part three of this series is on the gather. We want to go and uh, tell people the good news about Jesus, but we want to gather together. And uh, that's why I've taken the title uh, for this message entitled Gather on Purpose. Now, I know that that's Scottish grammar, but that's the best kind of grammar as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, but gathering, uh, I suppose it should be with a purpose or something like that, but gathering on purpose. We're actually doing something when we gather that we know has got purpose, it's got meaning, and whether it, whether it be in the big uh, celebrations on a Sunday or whether it be in our life group or our connect groups, wherever we gather at prayer gatherings and so on. Uh, now, we, we, we heard last week that we were looking at the church in Antioch and where it came from. Uh, the church actually was made up of Christians who first started, some of them, in the church in Jerusalem, which was the very first church, uh, but, uh, and grown incredibly. There's thousands and thousands of people coming to the Christian faith and joining the church there in Jerusalem. Uh, then there was a time of persecution when they were kind of pressed down and squashed, if you like. And when they were squashed, they spread. Uh, some went south, some went west, and many went north to the city of Antioch, which was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time, about 500,000 uh, population. It was geographically placed in a very important place for as far as the gospel was concerned, in that it was the crossroads of uh, trading routes from east to west and north to south. And so it was a very eclectic kind of city. Uh, there was all sorts of stuff going on there. And in the heart of that, Christians who had been moved up from Jerusalem to Antioch uh, started preaching the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And thousands of other people became, a great number of people came to know faith. And so the church at Antioch started to grow and be uh, an example uh, around the world. Now, when the leaders in Jerusalem heard about this, they thought, well, that's fantastic. We need to send them some encouragement. So they selected one of their number, a man by the name of Joseph, who had the nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So they want to send some encouragement. So they send Barnabas up north 
up north, to go and to help them in Antioch really understand what Jesus is going on about. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 11 and verse 23. And let me read it to you. When he, that is Barnabas, uh, arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, I'm going to come back to that in a second, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And then as the open brackets, close brackets moment, it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Now, last week, Dave did a brilliant uh, one-paragraph summary of the church at Antioch, and I tried, I tried, I did try, but I couldn't better it, so I'm actually going to quote him here now. Uh, Here's what Pastor Dave had to say about the church in Antioch. Here was a church, strong in evangelism, great in discipleship, wonderfully multicultural, financially generous, serving the poor, can we have some amens as we say this? Serving the poor, open to the prophetic, has passionate worship, prevailing prayer, was successful in church planting ministry, and had a heart for world mission. Wow, what a church. And to think how they got started, it's amazing the, the strength of this church. And what we're doing in this series is we're taking the church in Antioch and we're holding it up to ourselves at, like a mirror and saying, what was going on there that should be and could be and even increase, increasingly be replicated in our lives and in our church here at Kingsgate and all of its different centers? Now, if you're new here, you might well be asking that question, why do we gather? Uh, I'm going to give you the inside track, and I hope that it'll be helpful to you. Uh, some of you, like me, have been coming to church for years, uh, and we, we if, if pushed, why, why do we gather? You, you would get, you would know the answer to that. But what I'm believing for my own heart and for yours too, as I've been praying over this last three or four weeks in preparation for today, is that God, by His Spirit's presence here, is going to, as it were, what, what's a word to use? Like upgrade us in our expectation of what happens when we gather together as Christians. So, I'm going to give three uh, reasons from this passage of why we gather, trying to answer this question, why do we gather? Is that okay? Good answer, right? Because I'm doing it anyway. (laughs) Okay, so it helps. Reason number one is this. The reason number one that we gather is to experience the blessing of God. Did you see that in that lovely little verse 23? It said, when Barnabas arrived, and saw this evidence of God's blessing, evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy. Now, what that tells me is that he, there was something going on in the church at Antioch that was more than just the members were doing. God was there and was doing something wonderful because it was the evidence of God's blessing on them. What could that have been? Well, a number of things, and I'll come to them in a moment or two. But firstly, when we gather together, we have opportunity to bless God ourselves. In fact, in this age, in the day and age in which we live, when it, you know, we could be accused, I guess, as a, as a culture of being very consumerist orientated, even if we got nothing out of gathering together, there is a reason to gather. 
The reason to gather is to bless His name. We've been doing it in our services here. We do it in life groups too. We want to bless His name. We want to honor Him. We want to lift Jesus high. And that in itself is one half of this first reason of why we should gather. But the second half is that God is absolutely true to His Word, that when we gather twos and threes and hundreds and thousands, God Himself comes and blesses us and blesses us, His people. Do you believe that for yourself? Here is a church in Antioch where things are happening that could only have happened because God turned up and God was in the midst. That's the kind of church we want to be, isn't it, increasingly? The kind of church where God has free reign to do what He wants to do. Now, that demands something of us. It demands that we position ourselves for the blessing of God. Because actually, you can be sat here, the person next to you can be getting blessed their socks off, and it might feel like nothing is happening to you. It's a positioning question. Now, let me illustrate it. Um, uh, my, my wife's come into the service, so I have to moderate this tone from the, from the last service. Um, but one of the things that Heather and I love doing together is going shopping, okay? Uh, she loves it. I love being with her. Uh, but what the general arrangement is this. When we go into the city center of Peterborough, where all the shops are, this is generally how it works. Um, we, we drive in together. Say we arrive there at 1 o'clock. We'll, we'll agree a gathering time and we'll say, I'll see you back at the city center or whatever, at city center square there, let's say three o'clock. Now, to Heather, that feels a very short time, and to me, that feels like an eternity. And uh, over the 30 years as we've been married, we've got used to trying to work this out together, because when I go shopping, I hate shopping, I really do, um, I, but when I go shopping, I know what I'm going for, and when I go to the shop and I've got it, I get it. I mean, it, how hard is it? You know, so I, I'm not very discerning, as you can see by what I'm wearing. But, uh, but when, when I go to get something, I literally just go in. And if the first shop's got it, I mean, and it's not too expensive or whatever, then I'll just get it. So on this particular occasion, I'm telling you about last summer when we were there, I was literally finished by quarter past one. And so I've got two and a bit hours to uh, fill waiting for Heather, because to be fair to Heather, when we say three, that's the starting time of the gathering back together. Okay, so it can be some time after that as well. So I knew I got a few hours to kind of kill. So I went for a coffee, that's good. Then I went and looked in two more shop windows, that was good. Uh, half past one now, okay. <laughs> And so I decided to take a seat in the city centre square. There's some seat chairs there. I look at the abbey, uh, at the, the cathedral rather, and all the buildings around there. That takes an hour, five minutes. Um, and so I've still got quite a lot of time, but I do like people watching. I do like sitting there and watching what's going on. Now, those of you who live in Peter will probably know if you don't, that in the, a couple of years ago, the city um, authorities fitted into the, uh, the central square there in Peterborough um, water fountains. And they're not just like water fountains in a little kind of pond or anything like that. These are brilliant water fountains. These are, it looks like a path, and it's kind of completely flat. But there's two areas when randomly in the summer hot days, water spouts come up, and it spouts up about six foot high, and it's all over the place. It's very delightful to look at, unless you don't know they're there. <laughs> so anyway, I was observing this, and what I observed was that... What is the joy of every parent and every grandparent's heart when they arrive in the city centre square? Where do the children want to go? I'll give you one guess. Into the water. That's right. So the parents, grandparents are trying to hold the children back, keep them out of there, eventually give in, and then there's something going on in the heart of a child, isn't there? A toddler, which is they're looking at all these things. They all go randomly at different times. They've got an algebra going on in their head. They've done an algorithm which says, 
I want to get in the one that's going to go. The parents and the grandparents are working on a different algorithm. They're working on the algorithm of, please, God, keep them out of all the ones that are coming on. But you know what happens, don't you? You've probably seen it. You might even have experienced it if you've got young children. The kids just gather around where the water is. And their whole purpose is to get absolutely soaked. Right? They, they position, here's what, this is a link to what I'm saying. They position themselves to get absolutely soaked. So in this room right now, those who are hearing uh, online or at home uh, or in a cafe church or so on, you know that there may be someone sat next to you who's positioned their heart for the blessing of God and is going to receive something in this gathering, and you might not if you haven't positioned yourself. You with me? So there's a decision that we have to make, I have to make, I'm positioning myself that God is going to be allowed, as it were, to bless me and to pour out His blessing on me right now. That's the wonderful thing that happens in the gathering of a church, whether it be large or small. The presence of God comes and transform it, transforms it. Now, these gatherings that we are part of, and I know to an extent I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, but just to let me remind you of the amazing thing that happens here, is that what happens here when we gather as the people of God, we are His body, he is, our, he is the head of this body, is that it's much more than a sports gathering. You know, there can be a great massive event, let's say like yesterday, uh, Wales versus Scotland, uh, okay? Uh, half the crowd went home happy, and half the crowd went home sad. Yeah, desperately sad, as it, as it turns out. Okay, and disappointed. But you see, it's, we can be the biggest or the smallest gathering of Christians, and everyone goes home. Happy. Correct answer. Right? Everyone goes home happy, blessed. And what, what did Barnabas say? He was filled with joy because he could see what God was doing in the midst. We can go home filled with deep, deep joy because we know that God is working in the midst. It's more than the power of sheer numbers. I mean, it's great to worship in a great big crowd like this. It's, it's great to worship in cafe church. There might be like 80 to 100 there or in Leicester, which is a, a younger center than here in Peterborough, maybe 100 people there. But the very same presence of God is there. So what we're talking about something that is more than group dynamics. It's not just get a whole crowd of people in and it will happen. It's a crowd thing that happens when we acknowledge the fact that we need to position ourselves, every one of us, to receive the blessing of God. After all, where could you see such a bunch of people as the people sat around you right now? I mean, just have a look around, right? And be filled with awe and wonder, right? That God would ever think of bringing this group of people together but not only bringing us together, but uniting us in Christ. We are the body of Christ. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. You are the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it, and he is the head. That's amazing, isn't it, what God pulls together, positioning ourselves for that. We are the living body. He is the head, and so God comes and blesses us. The evidence of blessing is all around us. And just in case you've missed it, let me give you a few examples of what you might not see, but I can tell you is definitely happening here because week in and week out, we get emails and testimonies, written notes and so on from, from you in the, uh, in the congregation here who tell us what God has been doing. Let me give you some examples of some of the things that we've heard over the last few weeks. As we worship together, my world was realigned to 
as I enthroned Christ. I mean, it's a bit wordy, but that's putting Jesus first is what's going on all around you. The Word burning into our souls as we hear the Word week after week after week, we are, we are acclimatizing ourselves to let God speak to us, to change us, and to direct us. That is amazing. That's a miracle week by week. The Holy Spirit comes and confirms our identity that we are in Christ and that have brothers and sisters in unity all around me. The favor of God pours out over our lives, meeting our deepest needs and often our practical needs too. The testimonies we've had about people who have had their, you know, their, the favor of God pour into their lives is so absolutely amazing. Can you believe that stuff for you? Can you believe it today? It's not just something in the future or in the past, but it's now that even as we gather right now, this very moment, God himself wants to bless you and pour his favor on you. And there's healing too. Here's a great testimony of a healing that happened in one of our gatherings. It happened to be on a Sunday morning, and this lady has given us permission to share it. Uh, and this is what came in in the email. One of our committed members phoned in yesterday and asked me to pass on this testimony to you. As you know, she responded to a word of knowledge a few weeks ago. For those who don't know, a word of knowledge is like we, uh, some of the team pray before the meeting, ask God to kind of point out uh, what kind of things do you want to heal, and gives examples, and, and you'll hear in a moment or two. We read them out at the end of the service as a little prompt, so that's what the word of knowledge thing means. A few weeks ago, and there was a word regarding a growth at the back of the right eye. It's quite specific. She had found out that week that she had a growth when she went to the opticians. She had been to see an eye specialist for tests, and they wanted her to come back for a review. It's quite serious. On that Sunday, she responded to the word of knowledge and received prayer. Yesterday, it was a date to go back to the eye specialist for her review. She saw the specialist and two technicians. They took a photo of her eye and then needed to take another photo of her eye. You know, you know what's coming here, don't you? Uh, at a different angle, as the growth had completely gone, and they wanted to make sure... This is what's happening when we gather. Now, she was brave, did a great job. She said she told the specialist that she had received prayer for healing and told him about Kingsgate. He couldn't explain how the growth had gone and said, uh, this is how consultants speak, isn't it? I'm not a qualified atheist, so I cannot disagree with you. <laughs> he obviously wanted to. It may well be prayer. It may well be prayer. It was definitely prayer. <laughs> okay. She didn't need to go back for the review for another year because of that healing. Praise God. Now, that's what's going on when we gather here. That's more than numbers. That's more than group dynamics. That's more than any person in this room can do. That can only be attributed to the power and presence of God working on your life. Now, here, let me have a quick show of hands. If you've ever been in a gathering, small or large, and felt God bless you, talk to you, help you, and encourage you, stick your hand up. Just look around. It's a vast, thank you, it's a vast majority of us. So we know this in our lives. So we need to position ourselves for more of the same. You up for that? Let's do that. Now, dear friends, don't let anyone talk you out of gathering. I don't know who you listen to, but don't let anybody talk you out of gathering. Don't let anybody talk you out of going to life group. The blessing of God is there. Be positioned to receive it. Don't let anybody talk you out of coming on a Sunday because the blessing of God is here for you. Don't let your diary talk you out of it. Don't let your tiredness. I mean, after all, there are time to times when we're all tired. Of course, that's allowable. But don't let it talk you out of the power of gathering because you're positioning yourself to receive the blessing of God. Reason number one, to experience the blessing of God. Reason number two, to encourage and equip 
each other. There's a lovely little verse 23 uh, in Acts 11. It says this, And he, Barnabas, encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith. There's two things going on here, encouragement and equipping. That's what I want to just address for a second or two. Let's talk about encouraging. I don't know if you, as soon as I say that, can you think of someone in the Christian family who's been an encourager to you? I was praying over this the last couple of weeks, and the same name kept coming back to my mind. If it's not yours, I apologize. But, uh, and they won't thank me for telling you there. But I'll tell you who came to my mind. A lovely couple in the Leicester Center by the name of Shagan and Zainab. Uh, you might, some of you might know them because they've been here in the Peterborough Center for years. They still live in Peterborough, uh, but they have been connected to the Leicester Center the last four years, uh, week after week, traveling across there, sometimes three times a week. They've got a really, both of them, full-time jobs and a daughter to look after. They bring Angel with them so often. If there, if there ever was a couple that you can meet in Leicester and you think, well, they should be tired, they should be weary, they should be needing my encouragement, there's the couple, but not at all. Shagan and Zainab are the most a wonderful, encouraging people. You, you, they're people you want to stand next to. In fact, when I go to Leicester, I have them sat next to me <laughs> on the front row. I, put, I take a name tag and I get them to sit next to me because even being next to them, you can feel your heart being encouraged. Now, they're, forgive me, they're not special people. They are just straightforward like you, ordinary people. They'll be embarrassed that I'm talking about them if they could hear this. But that's what we can do for each other. We can be wonderful encouragers. We can be people who, who, just by our very attitude, encourage those around us. When people get close to us, they feel taller. Can you do that? When people get close to us, they hear words of affirmation. They hear encouragement. Come on, push on. Be stronger. Go further than you could ever have wanted to do. Barnabas did just that for the church in Antioch, and we can do it for each other. That's the kind of dynamic encouragement that we need. So there's encouragement, but there's also equipping. Barnabas saw that amazing things were happening. happening. He encouraged them, but he also saw that he had to start to teach them and equip them for what it means to live for Jesus Christ as Lord. So he travels up to Tarsus, and there's a great little Greek word in the middle of this. It, it, it says he went to look for Saul. The word that's used there is he searched high and low. He looked absolutely everywhere. It took him ages, but eventually he found Saul to be named Paul later, and he brought him back down to Antioch. And for a whole year, in huge numbers of groups, they taught people what it means to be uh, with Jesus as Lord. Now, how do I know what they taught? I'm not just guessing, because actually Paul the Apostle went on to write down in his letters lots of the stuff that they were teaching then. Of course, they didn't have the written stuff then, but we have got it now to look back. We can look back through those letters, and we can see the kind of things that they were teaching the early believers. We, we know that they were teaching them that Jesus is Lord, because even in these few verses, the name Lord in capital letters comes up twice. And this is more than just a coincidence. It points us to the fact that Barnabas and Saul and the others who were drawn in, there were some others that are listed in Acts 13, who were involved in this prophetic and teaching ministry. We're teaching people to put Jesus as Lord. That is, to put Him on the throne of their lives. It's not just a name, it's a position. That Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord of my life. He is the preeminent one. That's what they were teaching. And they were so effective at this that the people who were not Christians started to call them Christians. In other words, they belonged 
to Christ Jesus. They started to use it as a kind of mocking thing, but we know that it stuck because we call ourselves Christians, don't we, today? Uh, but it really, really stuck with them. I-A-N, Christi, I-A-N, means that I belong to. So, for example, if you were a Liverpudlian, it means you belong to Liverpool. If you're a Glaswegian, you're one of the most blessed people in the whole of the universe, okay? That's the best I-A-N you can ever have to be a Glaswegian, as I am. It's my t- town and my birth. I, I, I have to, to sell it to you. Uh, I was interested, just as an aside, to read a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, a tourist brochure for Glasgow, and it said this, Glasgow is a very welcoming city, no one gets beat up without good reason. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so the IAN is very important. So for me, for example, being a Glaswegian is very much part of my identity. I was born there, and obviously I've lost the accent, but it's uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty much still very much at the core. When I go back up there, I've gone up there next weekend, actually, they think I'm very Englified. My mother has to ask me to repeat things because I'm talking too much like an English person. So, uh, so pray for me next week as I, as I go to meet my mother. Anyhow, um, there's this, this sense then that they were Christian, i.e., and they belonged to Jesus. That was a product of the teaching. That's why in that place, those believers were first called Christians because they carried the presence and the likeness to Jesus Christ himself. The second thing that they equipped him in was in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Again, we, we can surmise this by the very fact, why, why are we getting this description of Barnabas, who was a man full of the Holy Spirit and of great faith? Because when teachers and prophets and so on come to teach, they're not just teaching something that's intellectually true, but they're actually bringing what they carry, don't they? They're bringing what they are. And so Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit, he presumably been uh, Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the disciples. He's carrying that, he's bringing it, and he's sowing it into the life of the church. And this is absolutely essential, that we have the Word, yes, and that we have the Spirit too, because otherwise we just can easily fall into a position where the, the, the things that we do are the things that we do, not the things that only God can do. Does that make sense? Because the Holy Spirit comes and does things in us and around us and through us that only He could do. Now, Barnabas was a leader, of course, and you might be thinking, well, I'm not a leader, so why should I do all this encouraging thing? Uh, Actually, in Hebrews chapter 10, we're encouraged to be an encourager just like Barnabas. Listen to these words. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out not avoiding worshiping together as some are doing, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching, the big day being the day that Jesus comes back. Let me encourage you. Can I encourage you? Would you let me? To take up every opportunity to encourage others and to be equipped in a gathering. Now, let me get really practical here. Plan to get here every Sunday that you can because this is a place, position yourself for the blessing of God. Let the Word every week take hold of you and root in itself in your life. If you're in a life group, fantastic. Be one of the leading exponents of your life group. Be there praying. Be the encourager in the group. If you're not yet in a life group, can I encourage you 
to think about considering joining a life group. It's a wonderful small group community of usually up to about 10 people where we share and help and pray and encourage each other. I did some sums earlier in the week. I hope they're right. I think they're right. That if you give two hours on a Sunday and two hours on a Wednesday, or whenever the life group happens to meet, most of them are Wednesday evenings here in Peterborough, that would add up to how many hours? Four. Yeah, you're with me. Uh, Out of how many hours are there in a week? 168, for those of you who are working that out. And I've worked out that that's 2.3% of your week. Okay, 2.3% of your week. That's not too much to ask, is it? Oh. I'll leave you to work that out while I have a little drink, okay? Now, when I think of what I spend four hours a week on, the challenge to me, and I put it as a challenge in, in loving encouragement, prioritize these times together so that you can gather for the blessing of God and to encourage each other as well as be encouraged yourself. What about getting on one of the equipping courses? Just so happens here in the Peterborough Center that three of them start tomorrow night. We've got Alpha and Beta and the Bible course all starting tomorrow night. It's not too late to sign up for them. It's like six weeks, two hours, once a week and uh, on a Monday evening. If you're interested, you know, Alpha, sign up in the table in the atrium. Uh, in Cafe Church, there's a table at the back you can sign up at. Uh, here in the auditorium, at the end of the service, go. If you're interested in Beta or the Commitment course, and in fact, we've got another course starting in a few weeks' time called Influence which is equipping for the workplace. If you're interested in that, go to one of the Connect lounges and just sign up. Why not turn up the temperature, turn up the volume on your equipping over this next season? And thirdly, I come to the final reason why we gather is to welcome new people. To welcome new people. Verse 24, the very end of the little passage that we've been looking at ends like this. And many people were brought to the Lord. Many people were brought to the Lord. What I love about this and what it signals is that although they were doing encouraging, although they were doing equipping and teaching and so on, and they had to gather to do that, they still had a heart and a mind and an eye for those who needed to join, for those who were new to this. Now, Dave majored on this last week, but I just want to echo some of the things that he said. And the reason why is because this is so much on my heart, I can tell you. It's one of the reasons I love Kingsgate, because when I first went to church, honestly, um, I, can't, I can't tell you. When I was thinking about this last week, and I started writing it down, trying to get the contrast. When I went to the very first church that I ever went to, I was 17 years old. Um, I didn't understand a single word of what was going on, honestly. I had no idea what they were going on about. Um, but I was an orphan. I was a spiritual orphan. I was lost to Christianity. I had no idea about it at all. I had a lot of stuff going on in my life, and some of you know my kind of wider story, that really needed a touch from God because human beings couldn't help where I was at. I, I mean, honestly, I just... It breaks my heart just to think about it. I do not know where I would be if it wasn't for the church in that gathering. The first gathering I went to, I'm not kidding, I hardly understood a word of it. It wasn't like it was wild or anything like that. I mean, they were enthusiastic, I'll give them that. The church was small, there was about 80 people there, we were rammed in a room that would fit 60. So that, that nowadays we'd be thinking we should be doing multiple services and panning it all out and all that stuff. They just thought, just pack them in, right? Get them in there. We're good. There's 80 in a room for 60. There's still space for another 40. Okay, keep packing them in. And it was growing like wildfire. There were two uh, 
old retired pastors, two ladies that, <laughs> that, that had retired like 10 years before, but because there wasn't a leader, they came, and man, they were wonderful. Could they preach? They preached. You, you were scared, right? Scared into the gospel because they, <laughs> they told you hellfire and brimstone and all that every week. Uh, it's like, I had no idea what was going on. But here was a group of people, and this is why I'm so passionate about the church, that somebody there, and I could list you the names, a group of people there, individuals there, saw something in me that they thought was worth investing in. And they got alongside me, and although I had no, I mean, honestly, I had no idea, they said, come and be part of this. They invited me to a Wednesday night Bible study. This is before life groups were invented and all that. Um, I went along. It was just like a life group. We prayed together and so on. Uh, I'd never prayed in my life, so I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, they said, okay, somebody gave me a Bible, which was great. Uh, then we said, okay, turn to Ephesians 1 or whatever it was. Uh, and I had no idea what they were talking about. I said, can we go on page numbers? You know, it's like that. <laughs> And to her credit, the lady who was in charge, May Haldenby, her name was, she went out the following week, there was 10 young people, bought 10 Bibles, identical, so that next week we could go on page numbers. That, now, what does that say to my heart? It says, if she hadn't made that effort, would I still have gone? I don't know. But what I do know is that effort made a difference. And there's another couple there, Jim McGill and his wife, Betty. They had absolutely no reason to show any interest in me whatsoever. They could get nothing out of me, if you know what I mean. There was nothing I could give to them. But Jim, uh, a guy who was, who was in his 50s then, came alongside me, and he, we would say, I would know now that he was trying to help me and disciple me and encourage me, and he absolutely did. I didn't know what he was doing, but I know that he was helping me. He would tell me, David, don't say that kind of stuff in here, because I had a really foul mouth. Um, don't say that kind of stuff in here. Say this instead why don't you read this bit of the Bible here? I've circled it for you and gave me a little thing. Why don't you come round to my house on Sunday night? Because he had a son roughly the same age. Have some dinner with us. And again, I can't go into too much detail, but they used to take my clothes and wash them in their washing machine so that I went home clean, right? So what has all this got to do with gathering? It's got absolutely everything to do with gathering. Okay, if, we, if they had all said, oh, it's rainy, I'm not going today, I would have turned up at that church and there wouldn't have been anybody there and I'd have been lost. You know, there is something about that gathering that means that we have to look out for each other. That's why since that day, when I gave my heart to Jesus, I mean, they asked me, asked me, asked me, asked me, asked me, but I was, slow, I was a slow learner. It took me anyway nine months to say yes to Jesus. Right? Uh, but in Easter 1978, I knelt and I could hear the cheer behind me from all these people who were trying to encourage me. I'm not kidding. They were cheering. I could hear it as they were saying, hey, come on. And set me off in a course of my life, which, as I say, I had no idea where I'd be otherwise. That's why my default position on that day when I knelt there was, I'll be in church every single Sunday. I don't think I've missed hardly a Sunday in 40 years. Why? Because I'm positioning myself for the blessing of God. I want to learn how to be a better Christian. I want the Holy Spirit of God to bless my life. And I want to be here. I, honestly, I want to be here to be the man to the boy that I, that I had, to be the encourager to the person around me. And these were just, I mean, let me encourage you, these were just ordinary people. Whether it be here in this gathering on a Sunday, I mean, it's hard to see who's new, isn't it? But whether it's somebody here that, in, on a Sunday gathering, or whether it's somebody you invite to your life group or some event or something, put yourself out to be an encourager of those who are coming in. And you will have a testimony. I, I mean, I can thank God for some young people that have come to faith in my ministry over the years, but you'll have stories of people who will be able to say on a stage somewhere or something, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be where I am today.
And that's one of the things that God is doing in our gatherings. Please, don't let anybody talk you out of gathering. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Sure, there are weeks when we're tired and we're busy and we don't know what to do. Just push through, would you? I encourage you to come if you can, come every Sunday. Honestly, I've been doing it for 40 years. It is really good for you. Come every Sunday. Get to your life group. Join a life group. Get on an equipping course. Allow God to speak to you. Pray that you'll be able to give words of encouragement to each other. And so finally, I just want to finish. I've literally got a minute left. But when I was praying for you over the last few weeks, um, I asked God for how should I land this? How should we respond to all this? Because, I mean, you can respond by saying, yeah, I'll come, right? But you're here. So... <laughs> Here, here's what I heard the Holy Spirit say to me firstly, and then I, I want to challenge you and encourage you to this too. It's this, it's a simple little phrase, that hand in hand go increased expectation and increased engagement. So this is what, how it worked for me. I felt the Holy Spirit say, consider this hand is representing your expectation. That is, when you gather with other Christians, whether it be small group, big groups, whatever you gather, what is your level of expectation that God is going to do the things that only God can do? And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, mark yourself out a five. Okay, you got five here. So I'm thinking, well, okay. So you kind of got that. That's my level of expectation. Then I heard him say to me, not an audible voice, but in my heart, what's your level of engagement? I mean, five means you're totally engaged. You're you're, you're coming on a Sunday, you're, all the things I've already mentioned, I'm, I'm fully engaged in all that. You see, I've been around the block long enough, 30 years as a pastor, to know that when people start to drop out of church or the energy starts to drop out of the gathering, it's usually one of these things that needs attention. Usually their level of expectation or their level of engagement. You see, when your level of engagement is high and your level of expectation is high and you put your hands together like that, it takes a lot of force to, I mean, you can do this, do this now, put your fingers together, and if, if that, it takes a lot of force to try and pull your hand apart. See what I'm saying? But if you go down to two on your expectation and two on your engagement, it's so much easier to be pulled away. So I encourage you to get even increase your expectation and increase your engagement. And if you'd allow me to, I'd love to pray for that right now. Let's just pray together. Yeah, Holy Spirit of God, I thank you for your word that travels through the years and through the centuries and encourages us and blesses us and helps us. I just pray right now you would help us to have an increased sense of expectation and engagement so that you can strengthen us as we gather together in your holy name. Amen.